Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANADALAND. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. Justin Ling. I'm back. Back so soon. Canadian features. Just here. Um, you should give us time to miss you. Uh. Canadian Features Editor for Vice Canada. We're going to be talking today about Trudeau's eulogy. Yay. For Fidel Castro. We're going to be talking about the ongoing story of uh, lawful access. Wait, no. No, going dark encrypt uh, digital evidence problems. Of course. So you have to call it now. It just slides off the tongue. And we're going to be talking about the CBC's plan to go ad free. Uh, it is good to have you back. Yeah, I know. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Adam Fremeth, Sam Pinto, Eric O'Donnell, Tim Bousquet, Chris Best, Sarah O'Neill, Sean Downey, and Madeline Cummings. Madeline, why did you decide to be awesome? Because as a journalist myself, I appreciate hearing debates on issues in my field, and I also believe in paying for outlets that I rely on regularly. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. 
Everybody, it is almost 2017. Give yourself a gift and do something about that website that you haven't done anything to update in the past three years. It's just hanging there on the internet, making you look bad. Why not get a beautiful new website from Squarespace? Use one of their pre-designed gorgeous templates and just pop in your own information. You'll have something that you can be proud of in moments, whether it's a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store. And you can start using your website to actually make money. They have amazing e-commerce tools, fully compatible, all built in, customer support 24-7. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CANADALAND. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace. And make sure to get the .com and the .ca address. Don't wind up like Kelly Leach and have someone hijack one of your sites. Bye-bye, cbc.ca. She forgot to get the .ca. Always get the .ca. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Trudeau eulogies. An online drubbing of our Prime Minister for his comments about Fidel Castro. Under fire for his statement on Fidel Castro's passing. Defending a statement he released where he called the former Cuban president a remarkable leader. I rarely find people in the hysterical right funny, <laughs> but some of the Trudeau eulogies were funny. Yeah, this is, it's a good little bit. Uh, for those who missed it, this was uh, what other horrible despots of history might Trudeau have written a beautiful eulogy for? And everybody had to go at that. You don't have to make them up. The Canadian Prime Minister has given a whole bunch of really good eulogies to a whole bunch of really shitty dudes. Like, this is not a new thing. The last Prime Minister, uh, you know, eulogized the King of Saudi Arabia, who, by all accounts, not a great guy. We sent yeah. the Governor General to that funeral, like we're sending the Governor General to this one. We've had the Chinese Premier over a handful of times for dinner. You know, like, 
this whole thing confounds me. Like, l- listen, Fidel Castro, definitely a dick. Not a great dude overall. Uh, he came to power in a bloody coup. Him and Shay, you know, the guy who sports all of your t-shirts that were sitting around the floor of your dorm room. All of my t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> they uh, jailed uh, gay men into work camps and, and, and AIDS colonies basically where they were forced to work hard labor basically until they died. They were tortured and in some cases summarily executed. Not great guys. They are responsible for war crimes. They are responsible for crimes against humanity. That's not in doubt. They also overthrew a brutal American-backed tyrant. Fidel and his brother Raul over the last uh, several years have actually turned the Cuban economy around, the Cuban social state around in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, they haven't. In a lot of ways, civil liberties are still severely lacking. There's lots of good things that have happened. Do they offset the bad things that have happened? No. But... Cuba is also an allied country of Canada. We are friendly nations. We are, uh, despite everything, pretty good buds. So is it weird that Trudeau gave a eulogy to, to Castro? No. It, we're, with some of the language in there a little too fawning? Yes. But, you know, we eulogize all sorts of shitty people who die all around the world. If you really give a shit about standing up to despots and autocrats, do it when they're alive. Jesus Christ. The conservatives were in power for 10 years. How much did they do to assassinate Castro or to really take him to task on his human rights abuses? None. So spare me the histrionics. It's a eulogy for a dead dude. It's not a statement of policy. Canada and Cuba have been allied countries for a long time. If you have a problem with it, talk about that. Don't talk about a boilerplate statement we have sent out after a guy died. I think you're pretty wrong about this. <laughs> I think that to the, to the argument like, well, why would you give uh, King Abdullah a pass? He's a bad guy too. I agree. We should call tyrants tyrants, especially now. We should call tyrants tyrants. I take your point. We should do that when they're alive. You know, And I don't think it's about like, oh, well, on the one hand this, on the other hand that. I think that people are still romantic about Fidel Castro, people who associate with earlier days of the left, and they like that he's been snubbing uh, – thumbing his nose at the West successfully, evading these assassination attempts, and they point to the uh, health reforms and education. All that's wonderful stuff. But this guy, if you are somebody who died trying to get across to Florida in a raft, if you are the refugees of Cuba, if you were in prison, if you were assassinated, well, if you're assassinated, you're dead. There's no question about the fact that this guy was a tyrant. Simply saying that, I think, is necessary. And what got said instead does a lot to cover that up and, and basically try to rewrite history. Cuba has had, you know, unquestionably successes. I mean, you look at other states in the region that have not followed the economic path of Cuba, and they've actually not done as well. The Dominican Republic, Haiti, a handful of others actually in the South American continent. And, you know, thumbing your nose at the Americans makes a whole lot of sense if you're Castro. They tried to assassinate him multiple times. They tried to invade his country. And if you look at the American record in South America, it was nothing but CIA and State Department-backed Coups and despots and autocrats. Yeah, we could talk about that too. But it was also about, as the Miami Herald pointed out in their in their obit for him, that uh, you know his uh, so-called success inspired fruitless guerrilla movements where hundreds of thousands of people died in El Salvador, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Colombia, Peru, Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, Namibia, Angola, and Zaire. That's a pretty broad and and I think troubling statement because. It's really difficult to say that Castro himself led to these movements. No, you can't you can't hold him solely responsible. But listen, were there violent Marxist militias running through South America fighting against sometimes democratic, sometimes not democratic governments? Yes. Were they responsible for war crimes? Yes. Were there right wing fascists, sometimes American backed uh, militias and death squads doing the same thing on the other side, sometimes to a more brutal effect? Yes. So. 
the modern history of the last hundred years in South America is a really difficult nut to crack, and to try to sum it up into a sentence, two sentences, a page is impossible. It is, but I think you have to say that it's a tragedy, that the Castro's revolution has been a tragedy. Whether it's about vilification or not is maybe besides the point. But to glorify this guy, it didn't work out. It was a very sad story. Yeah. I mean, again, yes, no, I don't think it's that easy. And so listen, again, if your position is Trudeau should not have glorified this guy, I can get behind you there. But politically, what do you think? I mean, let's get away from this like overview of of South and Central America. And this is where I'm going. If if you were his advisor, you you know what, let's think twice about your wording here. Again, it's this histrionics over one statement. This statement is literally meaningless. It is words on a page that are just sent to a handful of reporters in the press gallery and posted at the government website. It is not policy. It is not any substantive measure of what the Canadian government does. Now, you want to talk, and let's talk politically, if the conservatives or whoever really want to take Trudeau to task for uh, you know vilifying Castro, let's talk about the fact that he dropped Canadian sanctions on authoritarian Belarus in the last couple months, and nobody talked about it. We wrote a story about it. Nobody followed it. Uh-huh. Nobody gave a shit. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about actual government policy placating dictators, whether they're on the left or the right. Don't care. Let's talk about you know how the Canadian government is moving forward with a free trade agreement with China that the conservatives are totally falling over themselves to support. Let's talk about those things. I think that you're absolutely right that, you know, and that's a lot of tweets are saying like, what does this matter? The only place it matters is within internal Canadian politics and whether or not something is shifting in our perception of Trudeau. I don't want to open up a whole new thing, but but as we sum up here, it was not a good week for Trudeau in the response to this. I think that the cash for access situation is not looking very good uh, for the Liberals. Backing off uh, electoral reform, dropping that campaign promise, we all knew that was coming, but now it's come and the pipelines which i know that's what they ran on i mean we always knew that this was going to happen but it's still not consistent with trudeau's image it feels like and others have pointed this out the the perception is changing and the brand is getting looking a little tarnished justin trudeau's governing exactly as we always expected him to govern but he promised he would not govern this way he's governing like a crutch and liberal he's governing from uh, the vague center right center left depending on what day it is and which way the wind's blowing he'll make big bold promises about overhauling the country on electoral reform, say, and then back down on some, you know, comedian excuse to try to create a moral panic so he can come in and deliver some half-assed, middle-of-the-road, watered-down solution. And then you got something in there for everybody to hate. But you do enough uh, PR stunts that people keep you in power for, what, 11 years. You've been covering yourself in glory uh, with this uh, these documents that you have pried from the RCMP. That's not glory. No? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, yeah, I, I, I obtained these. <laughs> I, I filed months ago for these documents from the RCMP, and they finally showed up at the most opportune time imaginable. The documents basically show uh, that the RCMP wanted to push their own public relations campaign to cajole the masses into giving them more powers. And that public relations campaign, I think we can draw a direct line between what they have wanted to present to the public and what the CBC and the Toronto Star presented to the public. And I've been at the Star and uh, Rob Cribb at the Star and Dave Seglin to the CBC trying to get them to, to comment. They gave Vice an interview. They wouldn't come on this show. But essentially, to summarize this for people who haven't been following along at home, CBC and the Star said we have got exclusive top secret access to 10 secret RCMP files that prove that the cops need more powers to fight digital crime. They need to be able to get people's user data from internet providers. They need to be able to force you to decrypt your encrypted files. They need to have surveillance capabilities baked in to the actual telecommunications apparatus. And and here are these 10 files that prove that they do. And I said, well, wait a second. These are 10 files that the RCMP 
cherry-picked. Obviously, they chose the ones that would make their case. And aren't you being spun here? In their interview with your colleague Advice, Caitlin Now, Kate asked them, what prompted this? Like, and, and, you know, this is sort of to, to what I was saying. This story exists because the RCMP wanted it to exist. And Rob Cribb said, I've been engaging with police on this for more than a year and a half. Dave Seglins also suggested that it was his actions that prompted this reason. I went to a conference over a year ago, a national policing symposium on cybercrime. The suggestion here is that this happened because they wanted it to happen. Then you get these documents from the RCMP that seem to suggest otherwise. From the outset, you know, I think the CBC and Toronto Star, you know, we do owe them a debt of gratitude for actually pushing some details about this, because thus far, this entire debate has been happening in the very sort of pie in the sky, uh, very misty, esoteric sense. And this helped bring it back a little bit into, okay, how would these powers actually apply to individual investigations? So give them credit for that. In terms of what these documents say about their stories, I, I really do believe that these guys pursued the RCMP and, and that's why these stories got written. But I, don't I, also, th- I don't think they're misrepresenting anything, but I don't know that they're right, that they're the reason why these stories I came th- to them. I think, I think you know, the, these interview requests came in and the RCMP sat there and thought, well, this is as good a time to any is to push this new public narrative. I, and, and this is what they say in these documents, this, these memos that were prepared for someone high up in the RCMP say they want to build a new public narrative about these powers. And, you know, it's really black and white. They're saying that they want to take a lot of the language that used to exist on these issues, the language that goes back to Vic Tays and Bill C-30. Man, uh, it goes back before that. The first interview I ever did with a member of parliament was with Stockwell Day when uh, he just became Minister of Public Safety and it, it got leaked that they were pursuing this thing called lawful access. Yeah. Same thing. Cops want new powers online for, for spying and surveillance. And I said to him, what is this leak that you're going to be pursuing lawful access because the previous government, it got rejected. And he goes, oh, that's just some leftover documentation lying around the office. That's liberal policy. And I said, well, will you commit right now that the conservatives won't pursue lawful access? And he said, yes, I'll commit to that. They, of course, then pursued this police agenda for what was called lawful access. That takes us to Vic Taves, who disastrously tried to get these lawful access powers. You're with us or you're with the child pornographers. Everybody remember that? You were either with us or you're with the child pornographers. And then somebody, you know, somebody started to leak his divorce document details, invading Vic Taves' privacy, public documents, but still. And lawful access became a dirty word. What your findings, the, the documents you obtained, These are internal RCMP documents that say, and I'm going to quote here, it will be important for the public safety portfolio to reframe lawful access, quote unquote, as broader going dark. The language is is tainted, lawful access. Instead, it's criminals are going dark. We need a flashlight. Let's not call it lawful access anymore. But right here stated is we're going to call lawful access going dark. So if you didn't like lawful access... You might not like this either. And elsewhere in the documents, it says, we need to provide the public with concrete examples of where going dark has frustrated our investigation. Boom. 10 cases to the Toronto Star and, and to the CBC. And again, to give to give Seglins and Cribs credit, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do. You were given exclusive access to 10 documents, and you really have no recourse to vet those elsewhere. I mean, they say this in the interview but with But this Motherboard. was not contextualized in their stories. And even when Kate Lanau uh, pressed them on it and said, like, okay, even with these 10 cases... Could you independently verify? And they said, the question is, how could we independently verify? The reality is we couldn't. That's important that they couldn't, you know. But so what if these 10 cases, it it doesn't surprise me if there are 10 cases where the cops would have done a better job if they'd had these powers. The question is on mass, like, like data, 
are you having a tougher time fighting crime because you can't decrypt people's information? Can you demonstrate that over the course of all of your investigations? And can you also be equally forthcoming with cases where you may have trespassed on people's privacy so that that concern can be checked against your actual case history? And that's definitely a part of it. But And, and this is the one part, and you know, you can't put this on CBC and, and the Star because this is also the RCMP's fault. This is the broader media's fault. This is our politicians' fault. We have not had a conversation about what these powers do and what they will actually help with. And this is so important. We've been trying to write about this for a while now, and we have been writing about this for a long time. And I think it's really incumbent on somebody to start pushing these questions because let, let's look at one of these cases. A guy has a phone on it, our encrypted communications. How do you get them? There's two, three ways in which you can get those communications. You can craft a new type of warrant. Parliament can build into the criminal code a new warrant that the RCMP can go get a judge to sign, hand it to the supposed criminal, and say, decrypt your phone. Put in the password that's going to unlock all of the things on your phone. Well, that raises a huge constitutional problem because you have the right to be free from self-incrimination. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could also go get a warrant and hand it to the guy and say, you have to now tell us everything you know about this crime. You have a constitutional right to be protected from that because you can't be forced to incriminate yourself. They have to prove the case based on the merits of the evidence they have, not which can be compelled from you. And that's why you have the right not to take the stand at your own trial if you so choose. And right now, the courts are are still somewhat vague on this, but I can guarantee you as soon as this power gets put into law, if it does in fact get put into law, it's going to face the charter challenge. And I think not talking about that beforehand does a huge disservice to all of this conversation. Now, the other option, I mean, and and this seems to be some of the things the RCMP are are alluding to in these documents, could be that you could uh, create a warrant that would compel a business, an app developer, a telecommunications uh, provider to decrypt the message for you. I have technologists saying that's impossible. It's not impossible, but it's a problem. There's a whole bunch of variations of this. One of them could be, you know, Signal. Signal is a secured encrypted messenger app that will allow, you know, me to communicate with sources. In some cases, will allow drug dealers to communicate with each other. Signal is distributed uh, server-based. They don't have a single decryption key, and there's absolutely no way the RCMP can force them to. Same with a whole bunch of other uh, telecommunications providers. The RCMP can file them with warrants until they're surrounded by them, but that doesn't mean that Apple is going to build a backdoor into all of its phones to comply with their investigation. It's honestly tough shit. It's not going to work. Now, there are other versions of this. I mean, the RCMP alluded to kind of single levels of encryption that apply to, say, Bell or Rogers' system. But even then, that doesn't make a lot of sense because even if you peel back just the initial level of encryption on their network, something that they already can do in some cases, that still won't necessarily get you past the issue of going dark. If I encrypt my communications, there's nothing Bella Rogers can do to decrypt those messages along their system. So the RCMP are being purposefully disingenuous here. They're not giving us details about what they want because they want us to have a discussion about encryption in the broad sense instead of talking about the technical specifics, which is where all the devil is. Yeah. And not to mention the threat of if they build backdoors at Rogers and and, uh, at the ISPs, what if somebody gets access to that who isn't supposed to, which is like probable. If they they build backdoors into Rogers or Bell or wherever, everybody should just cancel these services immediately and get a prepaid phone because that is probably the single... biggest threat to cybersecurity right now. The biggest chance you have of getting your phone hacked, your email hacked, your text messages hacked is for the RCMP to build a backdoor into all of those servers that is going to be a giant target for every hacker in the world. Yeah. 
you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the work that Robert Cribb does at the Toronto Star, Dave Seglins at the CBC, ditto. I feel like what they have failed to see here is, is and they don't want to look at the possibility that they were used in some way and that they might have been spun. I think it's great that we're having this conversation now and maybe we could credit them for sparking this off. But I think that taken as itself, the, the reporting there didn't even begin to get into these issues. And, and it's time that we do. This is the time on Shortcuts where we take a moment to duly note a couple of things that might have popped into our feed. I'm going to note uh, something, a bit of a follow-up on this story that uh, amid all of the devastating layoffs and uh, suggestion that Post Media is going to ultimately get out of print entirely and just all of the wreckage at Post Media, everyone uh, heard this one that, that the $2.3 million was paid to Post Media executives. Following up on that, former Canada Land reporter and current Financial Post reporter Sean Craig sought comment from the NDP's heritage critic, Pierre Nantel. And he, uh, he tweeted the response. I'm going to read it to you. It is rather offensive for senior post-media executives to authorize such retention bonuses when the company is laying off numerous talented individuals within post-media and at the same time is coming in front of the Standing Committee on Heritage asking for money to help the company deal with a new digital environment. So as Paul Godfrey is receiving these massive bonuses, he's asking the government for handouts to save post-media. And speaking specifically about Paul Godfrey... Pierre Nantel said, this is a lack of elegance from what appeared to be a gentleman. That is way more generous than any language I could possibly come up with. Uh, what do you got? Mine's a little, uh, a bit of a bummer, but, uh, you know, we had this big countrywide conversation about jails just a month, a month and a half ago. You know, this young indigenous guy, Adam Cape, sat in a, a prison uh, in a solitary confinement cell for more than a year in honestly dehuman conditions, conditions that the UN considers torture. And we had a big, robust conversation about it, and then everyone kind of moved on. And we've had this a couple times now, that you know, solitary confinement or, or overcrowding in prisons or uh, mandatory minimums or, or whatever will come up and we'll have a big kind of moment about it, and then we'll just move on. This issue is not fixed. I mean, every time a government says they're going to look at solitary confinement, they don't. The new rules come in. They don't do anything. The reality is, Candace prisons are completely overcrowded. Uh, Advice News, we've been doing a bunch of work on this. We have another story coming out today. We had a story out last week. We've had at least one story a week for, for months now about this. And it's just so hard to get traction on this issue. But, you know, you look at the states and, like, the United States is having this big open conversation. It's kind of died now because you've elected a guy who doesn't care at all about this. But you have this big open conversation about the quality of prisons, about overcrowding, about violence in prisons, about segregation, about solitary confinement. President Obama went to a prison to meet with guys facing these conditions. And here it's like there's just no will. I mean, you know, I think the federal government on one hand is kind of pushing it off and saying it's the province's fault. Meanwhile, not owning up to the fact that federal prisons are, if anything, worse. And, you know, the provinces are kind of just kicking the can down the line saying, yeah, it's really bad. It's really, really bad. We're going to deal with it. And nothing comes of it. This has been years in the making, decades in the making. And it's it's, it's honestly a national disgrace. And you don't want to, you don't, we're talking about the Canada's treatment of Indigenous people. Indigenous people are vastly overrepresented in Canada's prisons, and they're more likely, we learned just in the last couple of days, uh, thanks to some reporting by my colleague's advice, that Indigenous offenders are overclassified as high risk, way, way more than uh, white offenders. So that means you have less access to social services, you have less access to traditional Indigenous, uh, you know, uh, elders, uh, healing centers, things along those lines. 
And that is such a, a frustrating statistic. We're based, and it, it, sorry, this is coming from an Auditor General report just from from yesterday. But this Auditor General report is is damning, and nobody's doing anything about it. And I find that so deeply frustrating. You're talking about the lack of response from government. I just wonder about a lack of public outcry. You say you've been publishing at least once a week on this. How do those stories perform? Good. I mean, people read them, but I, I think it's tough to, to publish in a vacuum. I mean, like, you know, the Toronto Star, CBC, the Globe and Mail. Have, Glo- Globe and Mail's been doing a wonderful job as well on this. Yeah, but there needs to be sustained pressure on this. I yeah. mean, it can't be just a flurry of stories at one point and then just kind of a dearth for a long period of time. Like, you know, in the States, there are dedicated prison reporters. You know, we don't have that here. Duly noted. Here's another bummer. A uh, kid named Darius Brown, 17 years old, died in Montreal. The cops told the media that Darius Brown died while robbing a woman's house in Cote St. Luke, well-to-do neighborhood in Montreal, that he fell to his death. And the media just repeated that. It was widely reported that this guy, this kid, died while burglarizing. And it turned out to be totally false. Uh, He died from stab wounds. Somebody has since been arrested for stabbing him. The whole robbery plot thing is looking like it's total BS. And the cops got that story from one witness and then just uncritically parroted that to the press who uncritically parroted that to the public. Uh, The cops are saying they did nothing wrong. Anti-racist groups are saying, like, this does real damage, not just to this kid's family who just lost their kid and had their kid classified as a a burglar, you know, but to the black community. This is a very negative stereotype. It just doesn't seem to have any basis. In fact, my question is for the press. I mean, we we typically don't run single-sourced stories, but we make an exception routinely for the cops. I wonder if it isn't time to rethink that. Duly noted. Okay, we're going to thank our second sponsor, Giftagram. Justin, have you done your holiday shopping? No. I hate shopping. I hate shopping malls. I hate parking at shopping malls. I get like almost like panic attacks. I feel I'm I'm miserable to be around. It's pretty contrary to the whole spirit of giving people things because you love them and stuff like that. But I hear there's lots of gifts on the internet now. You know what? It's funny you should mention because there are gifts on the internet and with three clicks, you can give one of them. Uh, Giftagram is a very, very useful service this time of year. It's an app for your iOS or for your Android device. They have curated fantastic gifts. You can, I, I like cookbooks. There's like a, a baked goods service, mulled wine gift sets. But then there's here, they, they suggest that I mention Roots Iconic Maple Syrup Candle or uh, a Canadian Mountie Toque from the Drake General Store. And here's the best part, Justin. You come on the show. It's a generous thing. We don't pay people to come on the show. I want to do something for you and for everybody else out there. So does Giftagram. So we're just basically going to give you 20 bucks. Oh. Yeah. Okay. If you go to Giftagram right now, use the offer code CanadaLand. It's $20 off of the first gift you give. And they're doing that because they are so convinced that you will love using their service. You don't even have to put in the person's address when you're giving them a gift. You just pull them up from your contacts and say, I want to give Justin this gift. And then you, Justin, will say, oh, Jesse got me a gift. Here's where I'd like it shipped to. Three clicks, 20 bucks off. Take their money, people. Take their money. Download Giftagram. Heather Conway is Executive Vice President of English Services for CBC, and she's with me now. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to Metro Morning. Thanks. Why should the CBC get $318 million more per year of taxpayer money? I think part of it is obviously to just replace the ad funding that uh, we need. If you're not producing ads, then you're not producing programs that are 22 minutes long. You know, you're producing a program that's a half an hour long. There are a number of, of, of people from newspapers and beyond who say that we shouldn't be competing. Is this a response to what they have been saying? Um, it's not a response to what they've been saying, but I do think there's a benefit uh, for those organizations. There's no question that newspapers in this country and some of the other broadcasters are competing with big foreign companies. And so our proposal would see 
Roughly two-thirds of our ad revenue would go directly to Canadian media companies, about $158 million. She didn't even say thank you to Canada Land for the idea. <laughs> the idea of an ad-free CBC did not originate with Canada Land. We were merely uh, leading. No, we were part of the charge, and, and that charge, I think, became almost a consensus, I think. I mean, who's arguing the other way? Ooh, let me. I always think that there's all these side debates of, you know, of like, should the CBC be ad-free? Should the CBC do opinion, like we talked about last time? The debate always comes down to me as, what do we want the CBC to do? And I think this is so interesting because when we talk about ads, it's like there's a dichotomy. Either we have ads and turn the CBC into this uh, super corporate wannabe CTV, or we go ad-free and become this you know, glorious BBC. Like There is a middle ground there where you can both get ad revenue and be a good station. My thoughts on, on the larger debate are, are pretty well known. Anybody who listens to this show. So I'm just going to speak specifically to this plan that after after we being like, you know, ad-free CBC, ad-free CBC. Now, CBC is saying, yes, ad-free CBC, but we need $400 million. As you heard Heather Conway say there, the only difference that she sees is, oh, in a 22-minute program, we're now going to have to fill an extra eight minutes, so give us more money so we could fill it. That tells me that she wants to do the exact same kind of programming that costs the exact same kind of money, and she just needs more money to make more of it because there's no ad breaks. That's the wrong idea. Yeah, Exactly that, that, yeah, that leaves aside the question of the content, right? If you're not trying to get ads onto your station, then you don't have to do reality shows anymore. You don't have to do lifestyle shows anymore. You don't have to do uh, Heartlander Mr. D anymore. This is a disingenuous proposal from the CBC because they're never getting $400 million, never getting that from the government. This is just sort of a bit of jockeying to deal with their critics and people calling for this. But I think that they have created an opening here that may make this inevitable because it, it just makes so much sense to so many people. Like, of course, if you're having a public broadcaster, they shouldn't have ads that with or without this $400 million question that is going to gain traction with the public. It's now out there because they, they've been saying the opposite for years now. They've been saying, no, anything new we do must generate revenue. They contradicted themselves like three times in this new proposal. They, they used to say that them getting out of the ad market would provide no benefit for other media companies. Now they're saying actually a large percentage of that money that we would be leaving on the table would go to other media. And they, you know, in the past, they used to say, well, we're cutting back tons of jobs and programming because we have less money than ever before, but we're going digital. And the cutbacks make sense because we're going yeah. digital. Now they're saying, well, we actually need $100 million on top of the loss to add revenue because we're going digital. You can't have it both ways. Digital yeah. can't be both extremely expensive and a huge cost savings. Inconsistencies aside, it's out there now. Everybody wants this. An ad-free CBC is something that I think, I mean, who... But again, but, and, but, but here's the problem is that, you know, the CBC has now just latched on to this sort of uh, current of public opinion or current of whatever people are saying in Canada land. And you've wound up... <laughs> really, where's the distinction? <laughs> the voice of the people. They've latched onto it and then sort of like jumped on top of it as though, you know, they're, uh, you know, kind of responding to the public criticism. But what it really comes down to... Well, she denies that, that she's responding to any of the oh. criticism, but of course, yeah. If the CBC wants more money... They should tell us what they're going to do better. If you really truly believe, and rightfully, that you are the national broadcaster, you are the one keeping local journalism alive, you are the one bringing you know, the most high-quality journalism to the country, make that case. You know, It's not a difficult case to go to the parliamentary committee and say, listen, we're the last stand here. We're the last radio station left in Cape Breton that is, does news. Cool. Here's a bag of money. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can reach me at any time at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. 
We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Justin Ling, where can people find you? Uh, at PD McLeod. <laughs> Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Our crowdfunding site is Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Syndication of CanadaLand is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're gonna be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you gonna get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.